All right, everybody, thanks for tuning in to Notable Nashville Podcast. Today we've got Seth Webster, who currently plays in the band O Sleeper. So thanks for joining us today, man. Thanks, bud. Thanks for having me, Jordan. I am excited to be here. Well, glad to have you. And, um, you know, we, we actually just ran into each other. We were talking about how easy it is in Nashville to just run into people, um, you know, just hanging out. And uh, I'm glad I did run into you. So what's kind of uh, your backstory on how you got to Nashville? I, uh, Macro, I was playing in a band called Upon a Burning Body. I had been playing with them for about eight months at the time, and we were scheduled to record in New Jersey. I was dating uh, my now wife, <clears throat> and so we had decided that I'd go to Ohio, where she's from, for my birthday in March. We'd hang out. I'd help her move at the beginning of April. And then we would go up to New York, hang out for a couple of days, and then she'd come back home to Nashville, and I'd uh, I'd stay in New Jersey to record, and then we were going to be busy the rest of the year. Uh-huh. It ended up not working out that I uh, continued playing with them, so instead of everything after the hangout in Ohio and help her move, I just ended up moving to Nashville. Um, and what I hope is rock star fashion, if there still is such a thing, I moved here with a suitcase and a bass and that was it. And, uh, and so the story began from there. Cool. So where, where are you originally from? Was it Ohio or, okay. No, I'm, I'm a military kid. So I was born on, uh, Fort Bragg in Fayetteville, North Carolina. And then my, my parents moved us back, uh, my mom and I to San Antonio, Texas, where I lived until the 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 launch <laughs> to gotcha. Nashville okay. in 2013. So as far as O Sleeper, you're the only band member that lives in Nashville and the rest of them are in Texas, right? Uh, the Micah and Shane both live in in different parts of the Metroplex area. Zach lives in California still. Okay. Uh, the funny part about that too, I am the only one in Nashville, however, they they would want me to make sure and make the distinction that uh, they're just letting me play bass with them for the time being. I'm not actually in. You're not the band. a you're not a member of <laughs> of the band. Okay, so yeah. you're just you're just a fill in. Glorified maybe to some degree, but yeah, that's that's the story. Okay, so gotcha. Far. Do you think it, it may change if you if you uh, if they really love you and be like, dude, you're you're in the band? I mean, that's what I'm hoping for. It, it's kind of a different thing when. Okay, we all separately and together uh, have been touring full time probably for about 12 or 13 years. Them maybe even longer than me. They're all a little older than I am, but it's, uh, I don't know if that's like the end game. Like it may be like I tour with them for five years and then it's just sort of like the, this is, this is our guy because we haven't, you know, we haven't thrown him out yet or I don't know. Yeah. It's, I think it's really more of a joke than anything, but I, okay. I play along because <laughs> I also think it's funny. And then there's a little bit of like, it's like that girl that you keep going on dates with, but she, she doesn't want to talk about it. About the seriousness of it. Yeah, yeah. But she's really hot. So you're like, well, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna ask. I'm just going <laughs> to keep doing what I'm doing. Well, we, before we started recording, you told me a story of um, of when you first saw O Sleeper. Tell tell the tell the group here. Oh yeah, so uh, my little brother, a good friend of mine, Justin Ibarra, and I were going from San Antonio to Austin to see Inner Shikari and Skite's airplane play at Emos in Austin. And when we drove up, we got there really early, so we got something to eat, and we were just kind of walking around Sixth Street. Um, 
which Emo's is on 6th Street, and then you can go up to Red River and kind of head around the corner. There's another venue called the Red 7, or that's what it was called at the time. And I saw the guys loading in. I saw Lucas pushing in his 810, and it had sleeper spray paint on the side. And I was like, I think I, think I know who that band is. We should go watch. And I don't remember if when I Am God had come out yet or if it was like a thing that if you got lucky, you'd kind of stumble upon on the internet. But we paid the five bucks or whatever to get into the show and watch them play in the the patio. And it was awesome and the crowd was insane. It was really great. And I remember, I think I was 20 or 21 and I remember going to Micah and telling him that at the time I was really bummed that Josh Coggan left Norma Jean, uh, which after they put out Oh God, the aftermath stopped being the way that I felt about it. But I remember telling him that I felt like the music of When I Am God kind of like carried the torch from what I loved about Bless the Martyr, Kiss the Child. And he was really he's really gracious about me approaching him in general and, and seemed really grateful at the compliment. And it makes it that much funnier uh, to <laughs> to have playing. become to have become friends with him in the interim and then and then also now to be be playing his music. Yeah, well, I love that when when artists are approachable and nice to their fans and don't don't act like oh I don't have time for this. So that's awesome. Um, but yeah, for those of you who don't listen to O oh Sleeper, they're a metalcore band. Um, they've got a few full lengths and a couple EPs through uh, Solid State Records. We were talking about that too. Um, I used to really love tooth and nail records, you know, growing up a Christian kid. And, uh, you know, what, what is the, what is the whole kind of tie in with Christian and metalcore? What is, what is your opinion on that? Like, um, what is the purpose of that? It's, it's an interesting conversation. And for me, I feel like I've had the ability to observe its evolution, uh, both in theory itself and then, you know, kind of the practical application I've I've played in a couple of other bands throughout the course of my career that would have in the beginning called themselves Christian bands and then now I I think the attitude Corey Brandon who's still the singer of Norma Jean said in an interview that you know music really doesn't have a faith mm-hmm. and that um he didn't really agree with the tag and at the time I remember too it kind of it kind of sat me down I was like man I don't you know the those ideas that come from growing up in church like the idea of the great commission you know preaching the gospel and on into whatever you know whatever prevailing wind at the time uh, was happening or as we perceived it was happening in church you felt responsible for that and i, I guess a couple of years ago it all felt more like and I'm I'm not accusing uh, any bands of this, but at least for me, it felt like it was it was a useless add-on, and it made you accessible, uh, even if there really wasn't a whole lot of validity to your your claiming that. And then I think too, and this was the more compelling component to me was fans of bands that would. You just just sort of naturally evolve in sound in general. You have that that pushback, but when bands would evolve in sound and then their thinking 
would change. You know, you imagine um, 100th, I think, is a great example of this, who they were on media scare, at least for a time. They were a band that when they first came out, uh, were very charismatic as far as their approach to music. And then uh, by the time my band, To Speak of Wolves, played with them, we did Scream the Prayer in 2011. Chad from stage, the singer, was talking about, you know, question everything that you've ever been taught because there's a lot of people who don't have your best interest in mind and the things that they've they've told you should be most important. Mm-hmm. And so that mixed with just, I think if you travel and you see other parts of the world and different people and, and different walks of life and cultural identity and things like that, it's difficult to remain in that space. And I personally think that it's because our view of, you know, we're imagining that this is all underneath the umbrella of our, our perception of who God is and and what he wants and what he's doing. And is he Jesus? Is he somebody else? And and all the things that kind of come into it. And I, I felt taught to be afraid of that as a young person and now that I'm an adult, my attitude about my faith is that I'm going to I'm going to expose it to anything that I come across that I feel like would dissolve it because that's how that's how it is what it is. It's not necessarily going out to disprove it, but it's also you being humble enough to say like I you know, I don't know how to explain that. And it's interesting that that, to me personally, it is, it's interesting that that's not everyone's idea because, you know, the Bible talks about our faith and and uses metaphors like the crucible and, and you know, like the temple being burned by fire and things like that, that this, uh, this tension and things are supposed to reveal the gold and, and make it pure. And we're hesitant uh, lots, lots of times to do that. And so in general, I would say that I think the idea of being a Christian band outside of like worship music is is something I feel like is a waste of time. Mm -hmm. So when you say, uh, you, you approach your faith as, um, approaching it to things that would dissolve it. What do you mean by that? As far as like going out to maybe like people who don't have faith at all, or they're, they're drinking to, to get wasted or doing drugs and stuff like that. Is that, is that kind of what you mean? Well, I, for one, I I like to think of the character of Jesus and he hung out with everybody, mm-hmm. but I think that idea specifically is more as just thinking. I, I like to read. I like, I, my favorite thing about, you know, much like how you and I met, my favorite thing about being on this planet is conversation. Mm-hmm. I think the, like if there was a moment that I aspire to, I love the stories of C.S. Lewis and Tolkien sitting, you know, in a in a cigar shop or in a pub and just arguing theology. And they're like on the same team, mm-hmm. hypothetically speaking, or or not hypothetically rather, but rather, but uh, but theologically speaking, they just had they came from different spaces, they saw different things. And and I it always made me feel like that has to be a part of your tool belt is like you're not afraid of that because really, what do we know in life past the contrast to prove it to us? And even then, 
you know, so much of what we believe is, is defined for us by our perception, you know, and that perception changes from moment to moment, season to season. And so I think that if we move, if we move through life, taking new ideas on and considering them and, and really chewing on what they are and what they mean to us, um, you know, it's like the idea of that science and Christianity have to be at war with each other. Mm-hmm. Science in and of itself is is an unbiased identity. It's, I will prove to you what is not. And and so if you go through life and you're you're taking ideas and you're putting them through the scrutiny of, do they live up to what they promise? I, I think that it's just that. It's, you know, the the prosperity gospel and, and, you know, the, the different things that have, have really done damage in church. I use that because it's the easiest to, right. To, to bring up and, and people have ideas in mind, but I mean, just the, the culture of the way that we treat each other, it's, are we, how hard are we examining it? And then in life in general, you you have in yourself this idea and then you go to another person who their experience was so polar to yours and they're unable to, they're unable, they're unwilling, whatever adjective is most correct, accept um, your perspective, your idea. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think that those are are places where if we're going to be ministers of reconciliation and, and those character pieces that, we say we aspire to. I think that listening is the beginning of having that opportunity. And then moreover, if you constantly dismiss every idea before it's able to kind of come to fruition, you've really not considered it for that other person's sake. Um, and so I guess I say exposing it to things that would dissolve it really more of in the, the people sense of that. I'm, I'm not, I'm not willing to, forego conversation with people because we disagree to me if you'll talk to me i want to talk to you i want to sit and listen to what you have to say because the chances are truly you know something that i don't or you've seen something or experienced something that i haven't and if you're willing to share the richness of what that is as you would recount it i feel like it has a value that i can glean from it and then if friendship is able to happen from there or even just simply respect like yeah. We can both leave that table having something we didn't have before we sat down. I think that's a great perspective, and I try to go about life in that way too. You know, I do claim myself as a Christian, but I'm also a very, um, you know, not not typical Christian. And you know, just when you don't you don't know what others believe, um, when you can just have a conversation, you connect with people on different levels. I think that's great. And uh, you know, tying it back to the whole Christian label. I think some people are turned away. Well, say somebody starts listening to an O Sleeper album and they're like, "Oh, this is this is great," but they they hate Jesus, they hate everything about it, and then they find out it's a Christian band. You know, what does that say? And it's like, oh man, I can't listen to this anymore. Yeah, well, when it's funny, you know, coming up listening to Tooth and Nail and Solid State and things, I I feel confident in saying, and I I've grasped this from. Uh, like some behind the scenes stuff that they've done and just different bands that got signed and and you see different reactions. Um, I think that when they set out, 
like a lot of folks at the time, they just wanted to have a place that positive music got the chance to be put out. Uh, you know, the early 2000s when they really started it, I mean, bands like Limp Biscuit and Linkin Park, and there were huge artists doing Amit Korn, all this renaissance of metal and mm-hmm. its different nuances and things like that, and, and hardcore and, and punk and things like that always existed kind of in their own lane in these different cities. And so the bands that they signed, at least in the beginning, you know, like Living Sacrifice and Embodiment, and they're bands that if you listen to it at the time, you feel like were a big deal to you because they inspired you. Zayo is another one. But at the time, like there really weren't many people listening to them. And so I think Solid State and and Face Down, uh, like there were a couple of sub-labels too, like Strike First, um, and I forget the label that put out the first couple of Under Oath recordings, but I want to say it was Strike First or it was some yeah, I think it was. incarnation of that. And so when, when they got to where they were in their heyday of where, you know, Beloved is, is putting out their, their first full length and you've got, um, you've got Dead Poetic, you've got Under Oath on, uh, They're Only Chasing Safety, You've got Norma Jean on Oh God, The Aftermath. You have August Burns Red uh, mm-hmm. coming to the forefront. And all they just had this explosion. They started signing uh, They started signing bands like He Is Legend and The Agony Scene, who, funny enough, uh, I leave on Friday to go out on tour with them. Oh, wow. And I remember both of those bands, uh, He Is Legend put out I Am Hollywood, and I forget the first Agony Scene record. But those were bands that people bought those records. And we're like, this isn't what we thought it would be. Mm-hmm. And and as time goes on, if you haven't listened to He Is Legend, they are literally one of the best bands on the planet. I ha- I haven't I haven't listened. There, it's it's the it's like it's got its own thing, which I love. But it really is some of the most brilliant guitar work that you'll hear. And it's this bridging of like seventies rock that. It was just like exact, you know, like the Joe Walshes and Jimi Hendrix oh, and wow. all those things, which I think that it's less what he's playing and more how he does it. I feel like that you can liken it to that because it's definitely got its own style. Uh-huh. And then they're definitely at the forefront of just groovy, sludgy, just really fun music. And and this the space of of what they can play really is is for all to see and all the different things they do like they have a single out uh for the record that will come out whenever it does called called white bat uh-huh. the drums uh, the drums in the beginning of that song are insane That's there's awesome. no way around it or you know the agony scene as well they at least in in my ballpark of everything they kind of quietly put a record out in 2018 and it's amazing it's punishing and precise and everything that you'd want it to be. Uh-huh. But I but I take it back to the the solid state bit. It was like those were bands that didn't get their fair shot because people did that thing that we talked about we did of where, you know, in their youth group they didn't want to listen to Jeremy Camp and oh, yeah. Plum and all that other stuff that we had at our disposal. And mm-hmm. so they they wanted heavy stuff and 
sadly at that time, if you were a kid and you realized that like a band wasn't a Christian band, like that was a betrayal and you, you know, you had to throw it away or like give it to your youth pastor or whatever, (laughs) which as I'm 33 now, it seems hilarious to me that that was a culture that I submitted myself to. Uh Like I remember too, um, beloved on failure on has a song called death to traitors. And I loved that record so much because it was pretty and it was heavy at the same time. And I remember the guy that was my youth pastor at the time telling me like he really didn't think it was good for me to listen to. And in hindsight, there was no reason why. Yeah, it's just he didn't like it because he listened to what he did and it pressed against the prejudice. And and that just sort of began the thing like what I said of where. If if I respond with a programmed response instead of taking inventory of something, because I think about it, the words of what that music was about is something very valuable to an eighteen year old kid. This is about this is about something of validity. This is about thinking about what you what you're doing and who you want to be. And you know, a lot of the music I mean, I love Limp Biscuit. It's they're gonna be one of my favorite bands forever. But like at the time, they had a single out called "Break Stuff." Mm-hmm. It's like there's no comparison about which which one is pointing you in a more thought out direction right. as a young person. Right. If that's even you know why you're making the decision one way or the other, but um, it was really frustrating to me because I, I really felt like I understood myself in that music. Right. And and it was rejected. I remember too a couple of years later. Um, I was actually an associate youth pastor for a time and, and the music director of the band for our youth group. And it was a mega church. So there was, it was, it was, it was a bit like I was in a place of, of influence. And, and so I had kind of moved into like, there was, there was some legitimacy to the things that I liked, uh, in the eyes of, of my peers and leadership and, and in the kid's mind, which I thought was cool. But I, you know, a step further, I'd have parents coming and this, this mother one time told me, she's like, you know, I don't, I don't think God understands that. And I was really polite to her. I don't remember exactly what I said, but in, in my mind, even as I'm having this conversation with her, I'm saying, okay, we stand here together in this place that we believe the creator of all of the universe is confused by something encompassed in his creation, like yeah, that sit seem with possible. sit with that idea for a second, and and I you know I get it. I, every generation, there's always that that thing about how you know like it's your music and not mine. And sometimes, which fortunately for me, my mom was the only person that could really understand it and like tried to find her thing that she liked about it. But like when I left home to play music, my whole family were like, "You're an idiot," and and so all of those things as a young person you know, they, they tie in and it just all sort of spells out rejection. Uh-huh. And, and that's, that's hard for anybody. And so if you, you think of the message that you're getting, that's either like, you know, burn everything to the ground or think about who you want to be. Yeah. It's, there's, there's really no comparison. So as far as your path uh, through life, you know, you said you were an associate pastor at, at a time. When was the decision that you were like, okay, I want to do music full time, and you know, you're you're always touring, you're always out on the road. Um, is that the kind of lifestyle that you that you like, uh, that you want to be doing? I I don't I don't ever feel more like myself 
than when I'm on the road. Uh-huh. And the, the situation that it brought me to, I, as an associate youth pastor, I was dating a girl that was in leadership and we broke up and I didn't take it well. And I got really sick and I had bronchitis and pneumonia at the same time. Ooh. So part of my treatment was you have to be at home for nine days without without any contact. You leave your AC at like 65. Fortunately for me, it was November. Oh, okay. So it was cold. <laughs> and I just kind of like stayed in my PJs and, and made sure I was drinking a ton of water. And But I just really started to think about what what I wanted to do and how I was getting older. And I just didn't, I didn't see it coming about. And uh, Thrice, who is my favorite band, put a DVD out about recording Illusions of Safety, which was their second full length. And I watched it and I just knew, and it was hilarious because it was at like four o'clock in the morning. I'm kind of an insomniac by nature, but but not having anything to do all day, I literally was, (laughs) I'd take four hour naps at a time. And so the times I was awake was super weird. Yeah. But I just remember thinking of like, if I don't do this, like if I don't get in a van and figure this out, I, it, it will kill me. And then when I went back to church, uh, that specific episode of time, I hadn't seen any of those people in, in two weeks. And I did something in every service that happened. And you know, of all the people that I had to check in with to be like, yo, I'm sick. I can't do Uh this. Two of them called me back. And I was really upset by that. And as I walked in before anyone said hello, and it's good to see you. And I'm, I'm happy you're feeling better. This dude asked me to get, you know, get some people together to move chairs. And I was like, yeah, I'm done. Uh And so I, you know, I, I kind of like took it home and was thinking about it because I was really upset. And, uh, I just decided that I knew I was like I'm gonna I'm gonna start I'm gonna start finding a way to tour. I joined a band in San Antonio called Silence the Messenger, um, and that's what we did. We toured weekends. I worked for a bank, which you know it was funny to work with a bunch of old ladies and be in a metal band. <laughs> and then in 2010, I think I quit. I quit my job in February. I gave my I gave my notice and at the, the end bank. Of that, yeah, at the end of that month, I I just kind of floated. I'd saved up some money having a good job, and I I kind of like let myself come out of it and really develop like what what am I going to do? And how am I going to do it? And the that band at the time, I was like, all right, I don't. I literally like don't have a job. Let's uh-huh. start booking tours. And I called three or four friends that we had that were bands. And we started booking stuff. And our guitarist at the time was like, oh, I can't go. And I was like, well, then I'm not going to stay around. And so I quit that band. And two weeks later, uh, my buddy, like one of my best friends now, Carlos, hit me up. He was in a band called Before There Was Rosalind that was on Victory. Oh, okay. I toured with them for about eight months. And then they broke up. That's when To Speak of Wolves called me. I toured with them for a year at the time. They broke up. I played with Upon a Burning Body. Then that ended. And when I moved to Nashville, uh, To Speak of Wolves got back together. And so we we did that a couple years. We put out an EP in a full length since. And then that kind of fizzled out as well. Just like 
guys having life stuff happen that uh-huh. resituated everything. And so then Micah called me in July, no, June of last year and asked me if I would, if I would fill in and, and here we are. Wow. So I think the moral of the story is for all these listeners who are trying to tour or, you know, it's basically, you seem like you have, um, you know, bounced around when things don't work out, you always find an outlet. Okay. Where am I going next? You know, you always have, you know, the, the tool in your tool belt. You're like, I know I can play. Who am I going to play with next? Is that what you would, would say? Oh, well, it's really more the reverse. It's more of things falling apart and me, <laughs> me trying to, <laughs> <laughs> me trying to figure out which way is up and which way is down. And then the phone ringing again and relationships like you're, it, it, you're yeah, a great it's, guy it's and really people, a, people want to be with you. Well, I appreciate the great guy bit. It, it's <laughs> interesting in, in, Silent then that's exactly the way it's happened because when I toured with Silence the Messenger, the first run we ever did, we met Rosalind. And then the first tour I did in Rosalind we did with To Speak of Wolves. So each band when they had a guy leave or something happened, they called me. And so fortunately I I did things that made an impression. Um and that and that leads me to the opportunity today. I you know, I do my best to be a competent player and things, but Really, for those people aspiring to do it, I would say develop your character because guys that are are going places are more interested in being around good people than good musicians. Um, and all that to say, I, I do work hard at playing bass, but I've been told over and over again that at least initially they wanted me out on the road because they knew they didn't they didn't have to worry about me or whatever. And you're a good hang. Whatever, be, be a good yeah, hang. exactly. Whatever space of that existed, I know. Like it makes me laugh because Phil Chamberlain, the drummer of To Speak of Wolves, told me that the thing that stuck in his mind was that I would carry their stuff in. Like we'd load our trailer out. I really love loading in and loading out. Oh, you I think do. It's so I hate much that fun. Part. I, I love it. packing a trailer. I. It's so satisfying to make things work. Uh-huh. Um, and so you know, we'd get done with our stuff, which we had a bit less. Um, and so I would just start moving their stuff in and, uh, he, he would tell me over and over. He's like, you know, you don't have to do that. I was like, I'm just, I'm a Texas kid, man. I grew up, if there's work to do, you do it. So you can all, you know, you can all have fun Uh when the work's done. And he said that that's what stuck out to him. He's like, you know, you did all, as far as being a band guy goes, like if you can't play, no one's going to call you. But if you can play and they're like, he was really easy to get along with. He worked hard and he did something that stood out, whatever that would be. I feel like that's your stickability. Yeah. Yeah. Well, man, I really appreciate you sharing all your, your stories with us. And, uh, we got time for, for one song, uh, to play from O sleeper, which, which one would you want to, uh, to to stick in here? You definitely have to check out decimation and burial. This is the first single off of, uh, the record that's coming out this year, right? We're going to look forward to that. Oh yeah. And you had a story behind that, that you wanted to share too, right? No, that was We Are the Archers, which we, we segued into when you were asking about oh, that, yes, that yes. show in Austin. So we'll play that one. Yeah. Cool. What's what's the story behind that song? That is uh like fans of O Sleeper are called Archers. That's something that developed between uh Shane and Micah and a couple of the other guys that were the original incarnation. Uh-huh. That I actually don't know a whole lot about other than 
it's just the idea of like guys who have your back. You know, archers were were often you know like snipers are nowadays. They're in a place up high. They can see things that you can't, and they pick off the things that would come after you. All right, we'll play it right now. Here is We Are the Archers by O Sleeper off of the album When I Am God. Be sure to check it out on iTunes or wherever you listen to music. And uh, thanks again, Seth. We'll, uh, we'll see you around. Thanks, Jordan. I appreciate it. Look around. 